All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We are starting not quite in the very beginning of Luke, but we are looking at what Luke thinks is important as he tells the story of Jesus. He begins before Jesus. And so Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse, sorry, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. That's a long Christmas story in Luke, five chapters in. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And once you find that, however you're looking at God's word, phone, pew Bible, your own Bible, let's stand together in honor of God and his word as I read this aloud. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and he fell down in fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready For the Lord, a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And he realized, they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended... He went to his home. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. Well, Merry Christmas. This is when we start saying Merry Christmas. You have permission to now say Merry Christmas as a greeting. Um, Christmas is always a special season. Now, technically, technically, this is my disclaimer as a pastor. There's There's a technicality here. We're technically not in the Christmas season. 
okay? If you follow like a liturgical calendar, now we don't do this, but I'm just saying, and I, I got a little berated by some pastors, it's okay, pastors have, you know, they're a little hot, they're things, okay? But it's technically Advent season. Advent starts four weeks, four Sundays before Christmas, and Advent is a season of waiting. Christmas begins the Christmas season. You get 12 days of the Christmas season. Like the song, right? You're like, why is there 12 days of Christmas? Because there's 12 days until what? Epiphany. Epiphany is on January 6th. It's 12 days after Christmas. And it's when it's to celebrate the arrival of the Magi. And so Christmas, actually the Christmas season, see you're like, why are you ruining these things, Pastor Craig? Like, it's okay. We can still say Merry Christmas. But I, I suppose the point of this, okay, the point of even the word Advent, Advent means Uh, the coming or the appearing. And Advent has traditionally been a season in the life of the church, a season of preparation, a season of waiting, a season of anticipation. Because we know Christmas is coming, right? We, We know the 25th is coming. But in the day when Jesus was born, they didn't know it was coming. And this idea that there was this waiting, this long waiting, and the church has made it their business to enter into a season before Christmas, before hope is realized, to enter into a season to say, we're, wait, we're still waiting, and we are still waiting. We're waiting for Jesus to come, his second advent, even as we celebrate his first. But with that in mind, I want to use our, our advent season this season of preparation, I want us to, to, to kind of take seriously this idea that out there, we're driving, and like when I'm driving during Christmas, I'm an angry person, right? I'm alone in that. None of you are, okay? Everybody else is fully sanctified on the road. I'm not. And then when you're out shopping, like, I'm impatient. You're not. You guys are awesome because you're never impatient in a store and all that. Like, we all, like, and I don't overeat at all. Like, you don't overeat, but I do. Like, I'm like Trader Joe's. Like, here it comes, right? Okay. And so we need, I need this time to be a time that just, of all the things that have co-opted Christmas, I need this as a time to refocus, to, to figure out what it, I am hoping and waiting for God to do things, to do something in my life. And this is a time where we come together and we all realize, we look around and we're like, all the people in here are all waiting for God to do something in their lives. And this is a time where we come and we focus our hearts on that. And so as Luke, we're going to use Luke as a chance for us to kind of tune our hearts to this waiting period, this Advent season, as we wait on the Lord. And with Luke, what we're going to find out is Luke is like this great storyteller because Luke is like, I want to tell you about Jesus, but first I've got to tell you about John. Like there's going to be this sense in the the gospel of Luke and in all the gospels that they're all going to say, we want to tell you about Jesus, but the first thing we have to do is we have to tell you about John. Like I want to tell you about Mary, but before I do that, I've got to tell you about Elizabeth. I want to tell you about Joseph, but before that, I've got to tell you about Zachariah. And so we're going to start with, we're going to start a little before the story of Jesus. It's a John the Baptist Christmas, everybody. Like, it's like, you're like, oh, I didn't know we were going to be reading about John the Baptist. So anyway, let, so let's, let's look at this passage. And what I want to do is I want to recognize that Luke builds his story of the birth of Jesus 
around really what happens is he tells these stories and at the end of every story, someone sings a song. At the end of every story, someone sings a song. Today we have the song of Zechariah that is what we're going we're gonna to kind of land on. Next week we're going to look at the song of Mary. Mary is told what's going to happen and then she sings a song. Simeon at the end of the narrative, he's going to encounter the Messiah and he's going to sing a song. The angels on the day that Jesus is born, they sing a song. That's the song, right? That's the song we know probably most. But these other songs are songs that are sung, and Luke wants to use this, this opportunity, the birth of Jesus, and structure it around these songs. And so this, this Advent, are, these are the songs of Advent. And when we come together, we're going we're gonna kind of, to read the Christmas story on Christmas Eve together here as we kind of open the doors, we go through an Advent book. It's going to be a lot, of, a lot of fun and really reflective and a good time. But this morning, let's take a look at Zechariah. Next week, we'll look at Mary and then the song of the angels. But let's look in our Bibles, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, as we are introduced to the story before the story, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, a division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. All right, so here we have the first thing that we're going to see, this introduction is barrenness, not having a child, not being able to bear a child in the ancient world was, was a sign, was understood, according to the book of Deuteronomy, was a sign of God's cursing. That, and of course, even today, there, infertility is, is something that uh, many couples struggle with. But in the ancient world, this was spiritualized in a lot of ways. And so we have this, we have this really interesting thing because Elizabeth, we're introduced to Elizabeth, and she is barren, and so in the community, even later on, she says, like, the Lord will take away her reproach. Like, she felt this in the community, but for Luke and God, that's not how God sees Elizabeth. They are righteous. They are walking blamelessly. They're observing the statutes, and so we have this sense in which there's this woman who people would look at with reproach, this couple that people would look at as, oh, God, Zachariah and Elizabeth, you know, okay, like, we're sorry for them. But according to God, there's something more that's happening here. Both were righteous. These two were righteous. And it brings to mind, I suppose it brings to mind, if you've read the Bible and you've been in church for any time, does it bring anybody else to mind? The idea of a woman who cannot have children and yet... The child to come will be a child of promise. I mean, you could, you could name Sarah, you could name Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, you could name uh, Jacob and, uh, and Rebecca, you could name, uh, or I'm sorry, Isaac and Rebecca, uh, the birth of Jacob and Esau, that she was barren, and then Jacob and Rachel, they're also barren. So this idea, this theme, uh, the prophet Samuel, the first priest, prophet, He's, he comes from barrenness. Hannah is barren. And so this idea that the anticipation of a child born to a woman who cannot have children is something that is deeply rooted in the narrative of Scripture. Elizabeth cannot have children. They're advanced in years, so there's this impossibility before them. 
She's barren, and this is, I mean, a little preview here, okay? I don't want to spoil the punchline, but um, Elizabeth is barren and disgraced at the outset. But she's pregnant and restored to a position of honor by the end of this story. I mean, and this is just like, it's, it's almost hard, it's hard to even hold back when reading the Christmas story because when God is like, when God's on the move and God shows up, it's almost like God says, I'm going to bless everybody. Like, it's just going to start to flow out. It's going to be life, and it's going to be light, and it's going to be awesome. And God's just like, and, and Luke can, you get the sense that Luke can hardly contain himself as he writes this stuff. So let's look at Zechariah. So that's a little bit about Elizabeth. Let's look at Zechariah. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Okay, so little background. If you're reading this, if Luke's giving this in the first century to people who are Jewish, who can read Greek, but they're Jewish, they would have understood that there were 24 divisions of priests in Israel. 24 divisions, okay? And that what that meant is that each division would have a two-week service in the temple area, okay? Do the math, okay? That, that's how that works out. That you have, you've got two weeks, and so the order of Abijah, which is what Zechariah was part of, He's, they come in, do, they do their service. Now, within that, within that division, you might have a few hundred priests, okay? And there were five of them that were going to be chosen to, and priests would do all kinds of things. They would offer sacrifices, they would offer offerings and all, all these things, but they would choose by lot five of them to offer incense in the holy place before the morning sacrifice and the afternoon sacrifice. And then among those five, because they had these candelabra, like two of them would take care of the candelabras, two of them would set up the, 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 the altar of incense, but only one would go inside. We know this because of the Mishnah. I, you're like, are you making this stuff up, Craig? Um, I'm not. It's in, it's in the Mishnah, okay? The second century, you're like, I don't really care. Like you, you're like, you could say whatever you want. It's okay. Um, but one would go in, and they would offer incense on, in, the, in the fire, in the pan, on top of the altar of incense. And this was significant because there's this, the, the, in where the altar of incense is, is there's only one place more holy than that, and that's the holy of holies. So the altar of incense is in the holy place, and to the right there would be a place, a, a, a doorway or, a, or a, a curtain that you would go through that only the high priest once a year could go through to go into the, ideally into the very presence of God, into the holy of holies, on the day of atonement and offer sacrifice. And so the offering of incense was something that was, was uh, it was an honor, and if you had done it before, your name is taken out of the lots to do it again. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event, and there's all kinds of things that go around with this, and so Zechariah comes, and he's chosen among the five, and then among the five, he's chosen as the one to go in. All right, so a little bit about, a little bit about the way the Hebrew mind works and the way heaven and earth work. Okay, in the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew mind, um, in that heaven and earth, they meet in a certain place. 
And many people in the ancient world, this is the way they thought about the way heaven and earth meet. And this is, this is what would happen is if you found a place where heaven and earth came together, you would build a, a place of worship there. Because it was like this funnel, like heaven is up here and it funnels down to this place and earth is down here and it funnels to this place and you go to this holy place. And the temple was believed to be a place where heaven and earth met. All the way back into the Old Testament where Jacob, you remember Jacob, he goes and he, he's running away but he, he, he lays his head on a rock at night and he has this dream. And the dream is that he has this dream that he sees angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And what he realizes, what he comes to the conclusion of, is that he's found the place where heaven and earth meet. And even on, if you go in the Holy Holies, you read about Yom Kippur, you read about the Day of Atonement, when the high priest goes in the Holy of Holies, you have the, the Ark of the Covenant, like Indiana Jones, right? The Ark of the Covenant, where you have, you have the lid of the covenant, the mercy seat, and then you have the wings of the cherubim. And between that, in that little spot, the, the top, the mercy seat, and the wings of the cherubim, it's through that little window that the high priest would actually peer into heaven, and that that was the doorway, that was a doorway in which humans would interact with God, and only a few were able to do it, right? Only one a year, but humans would interact with God, and God would interact with his people through that little window, because that was the place where heaven and earth met. And there would have been an understanding that if God is going to dispatch an angel from heaven to earth, where do they have to go through? They got to go through the door. And the door is in the temple. And so this idea that, that Zechariah is in the temple serving as a priest, that this is the place where heaven and earth meet, and there might have been an expectation. There were many legends about angels kind of going in and coming out of the temple with like these people, like, you know, like the stranger shows up and he goes in the temple and then he, he disappears. Like there were, there were these legends that would happen. And so this idea of angelic visitation happening in the temple is something that we see not only in the book of Luke, but also in the book of Acts as well. All right, so I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm a little over my skis. I'm going to get back to my notes. Okay. All right, so in verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now, Zechariah would have known he's going in. He might have expected maybe not to see an angel, but every time someone sees an angel, what, what do they do? Like they pee their pants. Like everybody is super afraid. I don't know if he did that. That's a little, sorry about that. Okay. But that's what happens. Whenever somebody sees, a, sees an angel, like I think it's great at the resurrection, the, these angels show up, and what happens to the, to the Roman guards, these two Roman thugs that are meant to, they're like catatonic. They're like, ah! Oh! So an angel shows up, everybody says, everybody's afraid, and the, the first thing every angel has to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so he says that, don't be afraid. So all these reports, these legends, this angel, of the, by the way, the word angel of the Lord, the term angel of the Lord, 60 times in the Old Testament, that phrase appears. And every time that phrase appears, an angel, a messenger of God is showing up to help his people. And so when Luke says an angel of the Lord appears, he's already anticipating that this is going to be, this is going to be an, a messenger of God who's going to come to help his people. And angels, the word angel, we talked about this last week, an angelos is a messenger. And so a, a messenger of the Lord has been dispatched 
from God. And we see angels all over Luke and Acts. I love that we, we, ended the, we, we, we went into summer finishing the book of Acts, and now we're ending the year with the first volume of that Luke has written in this. So angels will oftentimes appear. So if, if angels are messengers, and by the way, anytime, anytime someone has an angel story, I don't know if you guys have, I don't, you might have angel story, a story where you feel like God, you've, you've encountered an angel. Now, I think those sort of things happen today, um, but angels are messengers. And so one of the things that if you ever hear an angel story, the first thing is to ask is like, what did the angel say? What was the message? Because whenever angels show up in the, in the Old Testament or the New Testament, they have a message. So let's ask the question, what is this angel's message? You guys with me today? You with me? All right, all right. I'm, because I'm, I'm just like, it's like push play and I'm going. I'm, I'm on a roll, so let's just keep going. So what is the message from the messenger? Okay, 113, this is what the angel says. But the messenger, the angel, said to him, do not be afraid, stock, right? Don't, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Like we have no record of him having a prayer, and obviously they don't have a child, and next thing he says is, you will have a son. Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will call his name John. But it's very likely that John, or uh, that Zechariah, his prayer was not necessarily for a son. Maybe early in his life it was for a son. But his prayer was maybe for the redemption of Israel. Like, kick the Romans out. Like, redeem our people. Restore us. And the, I, the thing is, whatever his prayer is, it's all, like the angel says, look, whatever your prayer is, it's going to be wrapped up into the birth of this child. This child is going to be, the, if your prayer is for the redemption of Israel, this child is going to be the beginning of the redemption of Israel. Elizabeth will bear a son. You will call his name John. John, um, the name John is the name Johannin um, in uh, Swedish. We're an uh, evangelical free church, so Sweden, like Johan is the name John. Johannin in, in Greek and in Hebrew, Johannin. Um, and it means Yahweh is gracious. God is gracious. It's funny because later on, they're going to say, hey, are you sure you don't want to name him after his dad, Zachariah? And she's going to say, uh, no, his name's John. And Zachariah, they're going to ask Zachariah, and he's like, his name is John, <laughs> right? Like, he, God is gracious, and there's going to be a conviction that comes, but it's not after a little bit. Let's keep going with what this message is. 114. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. The not having of wine and strong drink, if you remember the story of Samson in the Old Testament, Samson was a Nazarite. He was given by Nazarite vow, which meant that um, priests, by the way, priests during their service in the temple are not permitted to drink. They're not permitted to drink wine or alcohol they, they must be sober in their service. And so there are some people, according to the Old Testament, that you would dedicate to the Lord and they would be sober for their entire life in their service to the Lord. That's what a Nazarite vow would be. And so 
Samson didn't do a very good job of it, but John will. John will be set apart for a life of service, and, but his priestly service is not going to look like his father, Zechariah. As a matter of fact, he's going to kind of distance himself from the temple. No strong drink or wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting, those two things, even in the book of Ephesians, it says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. These two things are juxtaposed, okay? It also says this, verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So John, this, this baby John, is going to have a ministry of turning like Elijah did. Elijah called, and we talked about this, that turning is the idea of calling people to repentance. You're not looking at the Lord. you got to turn towards the Lord. you got to turn. Turn. That's the ministry of a prophet. That's the ministry of John, the, repentance, the, the, the ministry of calling people to turn. Now, why is this? Because God is going to do something specific, special, something out of the ordinary. And here's the deal. If you're not turned toward the Lord ready for that, you will miss it. See, there's kind of a two-stage thing going on. Like if you're, if you're distracted and God does something special, you're not ready for it. But if you're turned to the Lord and you're waiting for God to do something, you're expecting God to do something, you're ready for it. And that's what we're going to see with the ministry of John. We, throughout the whole thing, this whole gospel and the gospel story, John will precede Jesus in everything, right? John precedes, John the Baptist precedes Jesus in birth, right? Now, Jesus will have, Jesus will have a superiority over John. Even though John is, is first, Jesus, he will be in a subordinate position to Jesus. He'll even say that, right? One is coming after me. But John precedes Jesus in preparation. He precedes Jesus in birth, and Jesus is born. He precedes Jesus in ministry. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus shows up, and what does Jesus say? The kingdom of God is at hand. John precedes Jesus in suffering and death. And what happens to John, what John does and what happens to John, in many ways, gives us a foreshadowing of what is going to happen to Jesus. And that is one of the reasons why Luke begins with John in the birth narrative. He's like, let me tell you about Jesus, but before I tell you about Jesus, i got to tell you about John. And that's one of the things, every time we hear the gospel preached in the New Testament, it begins with John. Because John is the one who says, hey, pay attention! And then Jesus comes, and that special act of God is something that, if you're not paying attention, you can miss. And that's why John's ministry is about calling people to turn. Turn towards God. And I think even for us, and we, I, I don't want to hammer this home too much. We see this, we saw it in Ezekiel, right? It's constantly repent, repent, repent. And I, again, especially as we enter into this season, especially as, and I'm not saying you're in sin on the road or you're sin, in sin I'm just saying you're distracted. 
right? Advent is a time to just say, hey, I'm going to turn, and I'm just going to turn expectantly toward God. I'm going I'm to have a John the Baptist Christmas, right? I'm going to turn towards God, and I'm going to look expectantly to what he is going to do. Because I look, even like Connor said as he was framing that song, God is in the business of moving in your direction. God is in the business of doing something particular in your life. This is not the long-awaited, God is at work, God is on the move. And sometimes if we're not turned, we're going to miss it. And so what John, what God says is, I'm going to send John and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children. He's going to turn the wicked to the wisdom of the just. He's going to turn people toward me. The turning ministry of Elijah. The period of waiting is over. God is going to do something. So pay attention. How does Zechariah respond? Look at 118. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, Zechariah is not the first person to utter these words. Is he? This is, this is almost exactly what Abraham says when God says, Sarah's going to have a baby. Abraham says his Whitney Houston moment. How will I know? Okay. Strike that from the record. There's no two services here, so it all comes out in one. Okay, how will I know? How will I know that this is going to happen? How will I know this? I'm an old man. My wife has advanced years. He like comes straight out like, there's a problem. Okay, it's almost like, because Mary, it's funny because Mary will say almost the same exact thing. But she's not struck mute. We'll talk about it next week. Why? Why is she not, but he is? All right. little teaser for next week. Get you coming. Okay. All right. Um, so, so Gabriel says, well, 119, the angel of the Lord. The angel answered him and said, um, do you remember Daniel chapter 8? Hey, Zachariah, do you remember Daniel chapter 8 and 9? Like, he's not saying this here, but he says, my name is Gabriel, and the only other place where Gabriel shows up is in Daniel 8 and 9. And in Daniel 8 and 9, Daniel has a vision of something, and he needs to interpret it, and Gabriel shows up to help him interpret it. And by saying, I am Gabriel, he's saying, I'm that same angel, and you won't understand what's happening. I am here to help you understand it. And the funny thing is, when Daniel sees the vision and Gabriel, interp Gabriel interprets it, in Daniel chapter 8, you know what happens to Daniel? He gets sick for a bunch of days. It, like, it lays him out because he has this encounter with this angel. And so you have this same thing going on. As a matter of fact, when, when Gabriel shows up to Daniel, guess when it is? It's during the evening sacrifice, right after the burning of incense. And here we have, I mean, this is like, like Zach, if, if Gabriel, Gabriel's like, hey, you just burned incense I'm here, my name's Gabriel, you want a sign, duh, like here I am. I'll tell you what, how about this, an angel will appear to you. Maybe that's a good sign, maybe that'll get you to believe. Like, but he does, he, so he says, okay, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. By the way, I was sent by God 
Do you want a sign? An angel is here from God. Okay, that's your sign, but it's not your sign. Your sign is you're going to be silent. And you're not going to be able to talk. You're going to be unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah, he asks the same question that Abraham asks, and he gets this punishment of silence. I, I want to say this. Um, the punishment of silence is not so much a punishment as it is, it's a sign. And we're going to talk more about it as we get to the end. It's actually a sign that turns out to be something of a gift to Zechariah. It's a nine-month mandatory reflection. You go in that room and you think about what you just said, right? Nine months of thinking about it. It will be a sign, but it will also be, it will also be a blessing because we're going to see that when his mouth is opened, some things come out that are just beautiful. 121, the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at the delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. All right, so here's what would happen. You would offer the incense, the smoke of the incense would go up, all the people outside who were praying would see the smoke of the incense go up, and so they know when he offers the incense, but then they're waiting for him to come out. They don't know that what's going on. He's having this conversation with this angel. And when he comes out, according to the Mishnah, when the priests would come out of the holy place, their job was to offer the Aaronic blessing. He was supposed to come out to the steps of the temple and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. He was supposed to come out and bless the people. You would imagine, like, if this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, I mean, I, when I think about standing at the end of the service and offering a blessing to you all, it's one of the most, it's actually one of the most profound moments of the service for me. Because I see you all, I know where you're coming from, I see where you're coming from, and for many of you, I know what's going on in your lives, and the, uh, the opportunity simply to offer a blessing is something that I think about and I take very seriously. And you think about, see, somebody's got a call. The Lord is on it. The Lord is on the move. But you think about Zechariah, and Zechariah is waiting his whole life to go in front of the people and offer a blessing. And he can't say a word. And everybody's expecting a blessing. And they don't hear anything. You know, the only other place in the book of, of Luke where we hear of anyone offering a blessing is right before Jesus goes up, it says that he blesses the disciples. It's almost like God is saying, is God to say, hey, I'm going to put the ironic blessing on hold until Jesus raises from the dead, and then he's going to say, the Lord bless you, keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you. Lord, be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace right before he goes up. But Zechariah can't do it. Zechariah is, is kind of robbed of this opportunity of a lifetime to bless the people. 
But when he can't, the people realize that something has happened. He must have seen a vision. He must have had an angelic encounter. And so that's, that's really the end of the story in that case. Zechariah will be speechless. Zechariah will be blessingless for nine months. Says he goes home. Elizabeth conceives. There's a number of things that happen in between. She, she hides herself for five months. Mary is told she's going to be pregnant. Mary comes and talks to her. The baby jumps inside of Elizabeth. We'll talk about that next week. From the womb, John is filled with the Spirit. But where our story picks up is in 157. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her, fulfilling the prophecy of the angel. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. That's when they would name him. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no. He shall be called John. Yahweh is gracious. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And when they made signs to his father, what should we call him? Inquiring what he wanted him to be called, he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, John! exclamation point, whatever, you know, whatever the, 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 the uh, punctuation is, like underline, his name is John. His name is John. Even though I can't say a single word, the Lord is gracious. And then in verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke blessing God. And let's hear Zechariah's run-on sentence here. He can't stop. He barely takes a breath. This is one whole sentence. 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, take a deep breath, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he's visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is the song of Zechariah. And then he continues to sing as he turns to his newborn son. And you, child, you will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high and give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. What a song. Zachariah's lips are open. His name is John. Boom! And his first act is just to sing. God is gracious. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. 
I think that last part about as he looks to the child, he looks to John. And he doesn't know what all John is going to become. I mean, we have the image of John, the camel hair, you know, dipping people and dunking them and in the Jordan River, eating locusts and wild honey. But he looks at this young, he looks at this baby. And there's a few things that stand out. He says to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. I love in verse 78. Verse 78 says, because of the tender mercy of our God. This is a guy who was just struck mute for nine months. And he says, it's because of the tender mercy of our God. And he says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. Those who sit in the shadow of death, the sunrise will ruin that shadow. The sunrise will shine on that shadow and it will fill it with light. You know, many look at the silence of Zechariah as punishment. And it partially is. And it's a sign that what is going to happen, what the angel says is going to happen. But in many ways, the silence is a gift. I have a friend. He's a pastor. His name's Jeff. He's actually a pastor over at um, EV Free or Fullerton Free. Um, he was the executive director at Hume Lake Christian Camps. Um, Jeff is a quiet man. He doesn't say a lot. He's quiet. You probably know someone like this. And the thing about Jeff is Jeff is very perceptive. He's very aware. He notices a lot of things. He notices a lot of things that no one else sees. I love Jeff. Jeff is a great reminder to me of the power of quietness and silence. And I think as we are in this Advent season, with so much happening around, so much, silence is not a punishment or even a sign, but silence is a gift to us. As we think about orienting and turning and being ready. That silence, there's something about when you lose your ability to say something or hear something, your other senses are attuned, right? And that silence attunes us to what's going on, that our eyes are wide open instead of our mouths are wide open. We listen. We pay attention. And judging by Zachariah's response as soon as he's able to open his mouth, his senses had been attuned to what God was trying to do. And you imagine the prayers of Zechariah over those nine months silently, but that conversation with God over and over and over again and asking, what are you doing, God? What are you doing? What does this child mean? 
And when he does, he starts talking about the forgiveness of sins, the visitation of God, a sunrise. Just think about how awesome, how poetic it is. Like how long that image had been cooking inside Zachariah's brain. The sunrise that ruins the shadow of death. And I think even as we are in this season, and this morning we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, and we have an opportunity for silence and reflection in this, our, our first Sunday of Advent, I wonder if we can just take a moment to just pay attention to our own hearts. Like, what is the prayer that we have been offering? What's the prayer that we've been taking to God? Whether it's something that we've actually articulated or just something that's been implied. When Gabriel shows up to Zachariah, he says, your prayer has been answered. What is that prayer? What's your prayer been? And the idea that God would say, hey, your prayer has been heard. And I don't know what you're you're particularly needing right now. I think we've got people, in the, all kinds of people in this room, and we have different things we're looking for from God. Maybe it's forgiveness of sins. Maybe it is the tender mercy of God. Maybe you feel like God has treated you roughly this year, and you're just like, God, I just need your tenderness. You don't think God would hear that prayer? I love the language of Zachariah says, God has visited his people. Maybe it's just, you just need, God, would you visit me? Would you, would you just visit? I feel like I need a visit from the Lord. Maybe it's just this image of, I just need to see light in a dark world. I need to see light. Or maybe it's this last line. that the light would guide us into the ways of peace. I don't know what it is, but for you, as we go into this time, um, what we do, our practice here is um, we'll begin this process. You can come up, you can get the cups. There's two cups. There's the bread on the bottom and the juice on top. Just take it back to your seat and hold on to it. And just use this as a time of reflection in your seat. And then um, when everybody is served, then um, I'll lead us in uh, taking the elements one at a time, okay? But this is a time of reflection. If you need someone to bring it to you, um, our, uh, Dave, Dave's happy to, actually he sees it as a privilege to serve the community. And if you need something to be brought to you or you'd rather have it brought to you, um, we are happy to do that. Just raise your hand in the air and somebody will come do that. But let me pray and then um, our worship team will begin Uh, to just play some music as we come forward to take the elements back to our seats and we'll do it together. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that your son Jesus has invited us to this table. We thank you for the season of preparation. We want to turn ourselves towards you, Father. And we want to do that by participating in this thing that Jesus has called us to do, which is to remember his work of suffering and death on the cross, his body 
and blood. So Father, we pray, bring these things to mind. Help us to understand ourselves well enough to ask you to move on our behalf. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.